you got a Bible, let's go one more time to Isaiah chapter 9. Today I want to finish up the series we've been working through over the Christmas holidays. I think the worst part about Christmas is uh, December 26th, you know, uh, when Christmas is over and then you got to start cleaning up, you got to start packing up, uh, you got to start taking down all the decorations, the tree, all that kind of stuff. Last night I told Kim that um, my Christmas present to Kim was I was going to paint the house, the inside of the house, and I told her, I said, okay, that means tomorrow the tree's got to come down, that's today. Um, the tree's got to come down because i got to paint the living room, and so she sat in the living room last night after the boys finally went to sleep and um, read with the, only the light of the Christmas tree on, and she said, I just got to have one more night, and I said, well, you know, you got to remember the past, but you got to look forward. we got 363 more days, and you get to the next Christmas, um, we get to look forward, and so today I want to finish up our Christmas series uh, by looking forward, um, by looking forward to what is promised at the end of the passage. But let's read the whole thing. I want to read this whole Isaiah 9 passage again. Starting in verse 2, <clears throat> we read that the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shined. Jesus is our light. You have multiplied the nations. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff of his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the trampling warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end, and on the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. We've seen that Jesus is the light. We've seen that he is the mighty God. We've seen that he is like an everlasting father to us. We've seen how he is the prince of peace, but I, I cannot leave Isaiah 9 without us considering that last statement in verse 7 where God, through Isaiah, says that the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. You know, in that statement, we find God's promise that he is going to keep his word. And so much of what we've read here, <clears throat> he's already done. He's already fulfilled. He sent the Messiah uh, to pay for our sin, to set us free, um, to, uh, to give us freedom in Christ, he, he, to, to give us that forgiveness that we so needed. But there are some in this passage, there are some aspects that have not been fulfilled yet, that are still future. Our Messiah's earthly kingdom is still yet to come. There are still wars. We still see oppression uh, Satan is still on the loose. And, and so this morning, I want us to consider this. How do we know that God is in, going, is, is in fact going to finish what he started? How do we know that his word is going to come true? How do we know that God didn't just make a promise that he can't keep? I think the answer is in that statement, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. There's a couple of quick truths I want us to take from this verse before we then talk about some application. And the first is this, is that the Messiah's first coming was not by accident. It was not an accident that Jesus was born in a manger in Bethlehem. 
It wasn't by chance. It was 100% God's design in God's perfect timing. It was the moment that God had been bringing about for thousands of years, day by day, step by step, moment by moment. He had been moving the events of history toward that point. It was not by chance. It was not by accident. It was not unfortunate that Mary and Joseph had wound up in Bethlehem and had wound up with no other place to go than a stable where they would lay him in a manger. That was not just randomness. In fact, if you ever think that anything happens by chance in this world, I'm sorry, but you're mistaken. You know, um, sometimes we throw around words like good luck, bad luck. You hear people mention karma, things like that. Um, And usually when we say those kind of things, uh, we're kind of implying that we believe that there's this random chance in the universe or there's this force that can be bent to your will and that things, some people just happen to have good luck and some people happen to have bad luck. Well, the truth is, though we say those things, there is no such thing as good luck. There is no such thing as bad luck. Things only happen because of the sovereignty of God. Things only happen because God allows it or because God does not allow it. If something takes place in your life, it is not by accident. It is not by chance. It's not because you're lucky. It's not because you've built up karma. It's because God allowed it to happen. And if something doesn't happen in your life, it's not because of bad luck. It's not because of bad karma. It's because God has not allowed it in your life. Proverbs 16.33 says, The lot is cast into the lap, but its every decision is from the Lord. You know, you'll even find in Scripture sometimes where they'll do these things where they'll cast lots and it seems almost like it's a a, a luck game, a chance game. But that passage is telling us that it's the Lord who dictates what happens, not a roll of the dice. And so when we apply this to Isaiah 9, what we learn here is that the Messiah, Jesus Christ, came because God willed it to happen. Because God planned it that way. He designed it that way from eternity past, well before Mary and Joseph were even known, well before they were even born. God had been planning it and had been working for it to happen. And what that also means this is it's not only just not by accident, but the Messiah's first coming was guaranteed. It was going to happen. When God spoke this word through Isaiah hundreds of years before the birth of Jesus, he was guaranteeing that the Messiah was coming. And he was guaranteeing that he would do what it says here in this passage. There was no chance that God was going to fail in bringing it about. You know, sometimes um, in life we make promises um, that we don't keep. We've probably all been guilty of that. We, we make a, a promise, a commitment to someone, and we fail to keep it. Sometimes we make a promise and we never intend on keeping it. And maybe we lie to a person. Maybe we feel guilty. Someone asks us to go with them somewhere, to be somewhere. And we say, yeah, yeah, sure, I'll be there. But we never really intend on being there. We never really intend on keeping our word. Sometimes we make promises and we, we, we say we're going to do something, but we can't do it. We, we are un, unable to. We're incapable of fulfilling our promise. Sometimes we make promises and we simply forget. And we fail to keep it because we forgot. Or we fail to keep it because we've hoped they've forgotten. And sometimes we make commitments and promises and then we turn around and make some other promise that then prevents us from, from completing the first promise. Even the best of us, even the most, the most you know, kind of us, the, the most... The, the people in here with the highest integrity, we at times will fail to keep our promises. But will God ever fail to keep a promise? No. He does not. Numbers twenty three nineteen says, God is not man 
that he should lie, or a son of man that he should change his mind? Has he said and will he not do it? Or has he spoken and will he not fulfill it? God guaranteed in this passage that the Messiah was coming, which meant that the Messiah was going to come. It was guaranteed to happen. And there's a couple of reasons in this verse that tell us why God was going to do what he was going to do. It said there, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do it. First thing is this, is that God will keep his word because of his love for us. That the Lord remain, will keep his commitment to his children because of his love for us. That word zeal means passion, enthusiasm, love. And God's passion is for his people. And so we can trust that God is going to fulfill his promise because of his love for his children. Everything God does for us <coughs> is motivated because of the love he has for us. I think the best example I can think of comes in John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Has there ever been a time in your life when you did something for someone that may not have been logical, may not have been very rational, may not have been really a good idea, but you did it because you loved them? You know? Has there been a time whenever you bought a gift that was way out of your budget range, but you had to do it because you just so loved that person? Or you uh, made a commitment to go. Guys, maybe you, you, you went to a movie with your wife that you really didn't want to go see, but you went with her because it was your wife that was asking you to go. And you said, I just got to go because I love her. So there's sometimes when our decisions are not based on reason, they're not based on logic, they're simply based on love. And we do things because of the love we have for that other person. Well, just consider for a moment Romans 5, 8, which says that God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Just think about that verse for a moment. In Romans 5.10, it says that we, when we were apart from Christ, we were enemies of God. If it were me, do you think I would sacrifice my child for the sake of my enemy? I'm going to tell you no. It's not going to happen. But God made a very illogical decision to send His Son to save sinful humanity. Why? Because of His love. And He made this promise hundreds of years before Christ would, would be born, knowing that He would have to give His Son on a cross to save His enemies. And God kept that promise because of His love. But there's another thing that motivated God and continues to motivate God. And that's his name. God will keep his word. He will keep his promises because of his name. Because of the integrity of his name. It says the zeal of the Lord of hosts. That word Lord is the name Yahweh, Jehovah. The name of God. And when God made this statement here, he is promising in his name and on his character that he will keep his word. Because of his name, he would do it. You know, when, when you go to the store, when you go buy a house, when you go do things, um, they always make you sign your name on a piece of paper, right? To say that you're going to pay for that. Why do they do that? Because you're pledging in your name that you're going to do whatever you're saying you're going to do. You're going to make your payments. You're going to do whatever it is you are pledging in your name. Your name means something. 
And if you're, if you're a, an upstanding person, a person with integrity, you're going to do whatever you say you're going to do because you put your name on that piece of paper. I mean, your name is worth something, right? We spend our lives trying to make sure that our names are, 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 are worth something, that, that we have integrity, um, that, that there's, people can trust us. Well, God has placed his name on his promise. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. His name represents who he is. It's his perfect character. His perfect nature. And because of his name, he's going to do it. He is going to fulfill his word. He has already fulfilled his word, so much of it. And what has not been fulfilled yet, he will fulfill because it has been promised in his name. Now here's what that means for us. A couple of application points. Because God keeps his promise, we can trust him. We can trust the promises that God has made. When God makes a promise to us in Scripture, any promise for that matter, we can trust that he is going to keep it. Psalm 89, 34 says this, I will not violate my covenant or alter my word that went forth from my lips. God will always keep his word, and so we can trust it. I mean, let's just think for a second <clears throat> about God's track record, his track record of keeping promises. He, he promised to an elderly man named Abraham that he would make him a father of many nations. And did he do it? Yes. He promised the Israelites that he would deliver them from Egypt, even though they were, they were held slaves there by a mighty Pharaoh who was extremely strong and extremely wicked. And did he do it? Yes. He set them free. He promised that he would bring about a king from the tribe of Judah. And did he do it? Yes. He promised to send his son as the savior of the world. And guess what? He did it. He, he promised to send the Holy Spirit to indwell us as believers and to fill us with the knowledge of his will and the ability to understand his word. And has he done it? Yes. And when you consider the, the sheer number of Old Testament prophecies about Jesus that have already been fulfilled... Details that, that only Jesus could fulfill, which all of which were promises kept. Our God is a God who keeps His word. And so if He's been 100% successful in keeping His promises in the past, what do you think that means about the future? He will continue to keep His word. We can trust it because of His love for us and because of His commitment to His name. We can trust all it says about this life about how the Lord will continue to give us guidance, will continue to protect us, will continue to bless us, and we can trust what it says about the next life. That we have a home, a place of heaven, a place in heaven where we will be with him for eternity, that we have security in our salvation, that we cannot lose our salvation, and that Christ is one day going to return. We can trust all of those promises because God has, has made them. And our God has been 100% committed to keeping his word. But not only can we trust it, <coughs> excuse me, we must act upon them. Because God keeps his promises, we must live by them. We must act upon them. You know, when we realize that God is true to his word, we can't just say, okay, I believe it. We must then move to living by those words. Think about it like this. <clears throat> Excuse me. I'm a pretty big baseball fan. I think 
If you've been around here long enough, you kind of figure that out. Um, I love the Cardinals. And let's imagine that the Cardinals made it to the World Series and that they were playing the Yankees. And let's imagine that it was game seven of the World Series. Series is tied up three to three. Um, but the game is taking place on a Sunday night. So I can't watch the game because i got to be at church here and I'm going to be preaching that night. And so I set my DVR and I decide I'm not going to look at the score. I'm not going to do anything until I get home. Um, because I don't want to watch it. I want to watch it on the DVR, but I don't want to know what's happened. Now, let's imagine that I, we finished up the service, and on the way out the door, Reagan, who happens to be a big Cardinals fan, comes up to me and says, Cardinals 176, Jeff, yes. Now, now I know what's taking place, <clears throat> right? I know what has happened. But when I, just, when I get home, what if I decided to go ahead and watch the game anyway? I know what the ending's going to be. Now, you might think that that might make it boring because I already know how it's going to end. But wouldn't it change the way I watch the game if I know the outcome? Wouldn't it? I mean, let's say that I'm sitting on the couch and I see that early in the game, the Cardinals go down 6 nothing. But I already know they're going to win 7-6. Wouldn't that change the way I watch the game? Then instead of chewing on my fingernails and getting, getting, you know, having to go for the Toms, instead I'm, I'm looking and saying, okay, how are they going to do this? How is this going to work out? How is this going to be? Because knowing the outcome affects my actions. I would have no need to worry. I would have no need to be anxious about a ball game because I already know they're going to win. Well, if I know that God has promised something, and I know that God always does what He promises, Shouldn't that change the way we live our lives? Shouldn't that affect how we look at our situation? How we handle our problems? How we deal with our worries? Shouldn't it affect the decisions we make? Our attitude? It should. And in essence, that's what faith is. It's Believing and trusting in the Word of God to the point in which you act upon it. I believe that true biblical faith is not simply believing that God can do what He said He's going to do. But it's believing in it to the point in which you know that He's going to do what He said He's going to do. And it affects the way that you live your life. It's one thing to trust that God can keep His promise. But it's another thing to trust it to the point in which you live, knowing that He's going to keep His promise. And that's what we've been called to do. You see, a lot of times we might fall into that trap of thinking, well, I know God can do this, but I really don't think He's going to do this. I mean, it's kind of like this. Imagine that if I had $100 in my hand and I told someone in here, I'm going to give you $100 if you'll get up and do 100 jumping jacks. Now, you see the $100 in my hand, and you know that I could give it to you, but do you think I would actually give it to you? No, I would not. (laughs) Because that's a lot of money, and it's just jumping jacks. You would not have earned that money. Um, So I would not have kept my word in that situation. But when it comes to God, we know that He can do it. But we also must have faith that He will do it to the extent that we will live our life based on that promise. Several months ago, we we studied Hebrews chapter 11, and we looked at that faith chapter, the hall of faith, and how example after example after example, it said, by faith, these individuals 
did this, did that. They lived their life in this particular way. They, they, they followed this, this, you know, God's word. They did what they did. <clears throat> it was not by faith. They knew the Bible, and that was it. It was by faith they lived it. They put it into action. And in Hebrews chapter 12, after all of Hebrews 11, and it talks about all these different examples of Abraham and all these other guys, Moses, and it, boom, 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 all these other men who live by faith, Hebrews chapter 12 verse 1 says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. In other words, what that's saying is God is faithful. He spends a whole chapter, the writer of Hebrews spends a whole chapter saying, here's how God's faithful. Boom, 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 boom. Here it is, here it is. So God is faithful. Now go out and live it. Go out and trust it. Set your eyes on the promise keeper and keep following after him. But I can't close today without us at least considering this question. For many, you've probably asked this question before. Why does God take so long sometimes to keep his promise? I think we've all probably had those situations in our lives, those times whenever we pray to God for him to do something. We look to his word and we see it promised and we wonder, <coughs> God, what are you waiting on? Why are, you, why are you delaying? What, what, what are you waiting on? And sometimes God's timing can cause us to doubt. Let me share something with you I found this week. It's a pastor named H.B. Charles. He's a Southern Baptist pastor. And he wrote a book called It Happens After Prayer. And he told this story in his book. And I just want to read it to you. It says, One hot afternoon, a certain woman walked to her, neighborhood's, her neighbor's produce stand to buy grapes. The line was long, and each person seemed to get special attention, but she waited patiently. When she finally made it to the front of the line, the owner asked for her order. She asked for grapes. Please excuse me for a minute was the answer. And then the owner walked away and disappeared behind a building. For some reason, this rubbed the woman the wrong way. Everyone in line before her was greeted warmly. They were given special attention, and most importantly, they were served immediately. But she was forced to wait. And when she got to the front of the line, she was forced to wait some more. She was offended. She felt the owner took her regular business for granted. The longer she waited, the angrier she became. But finally, the produce stand owner reappeared. With a big smile, he presented her with the most beautiful grapes she had ever seen. And he invited her to taste them. And she had never tasted grapes so good. And as she turned to leave with her delicious grapes, he stopped her and said, Oh yeah, I'm sorry I kept you waiting, said the farmer. But I needed the time to get you my very best. And then he continues on to say this. How long have you been in line waiting on God to get to your request? How long have you been waiting in line for God to meet your need, to solve a problem, to open a door? Whatever you do, don't get out of line and don't stop praying. Wait on God and wait, walk by faith, trusting in His promises. There are going to be those days when we sit and think, why, God, are you waiting? Why, God, are you delaying? And in those moments, we need to remember that regardless of the timing of it, 
Our God is a God who keeps His word. And maybe that wait is because God needs time to bring about His very best in your life. Our God has kept His promises up to this point in history, 100% of the time. And we've read the end of the story. We know how it ends. We know what's coming. And so for us as believers, now is the time to walk by faith until God decides it's time to finish what He started. Let's pray. Father God, we are so grateful that You are a God of Your Word. That You're a God who has made promises to us that only You can keep. And that we know without a shadow of a doubt that You will keep them. Father, I know as we walk through this life, sometimes we can get into situations, times of sorrow, times of trouble, in which we will begin to doubt Your goodness begin to doubt your faithfulness. But Father, I pray that you would remind us that we know the end of the story. We know what's coming. And we know you you are good for whatever you have promised. And so Father, teach us to wait patiently. Teach us to trust. Teach us to walk by faith. To not simply believe, not simply say that we believe the words of Scripture, but to believe them to the point that we have the conviction to live by the words of Scripture. Help us, God, and whenever our situations are, I know each and every person in this room is probably going through something different. And they hear these words and it applies to their life a little differently, but the truth is still the same. You are a God of your word, and because of your zeal, your love for us, and because of your name, you will keep your word. Give us faith trust in that. Father God, if there is someone here today who needs to make some type of decision, maybe it's for salvation, baptism, rededication, church membership, if there is someone here today who needs to make a decision of faith, I pray you would give them the confidence to step out of the aisle and to come forward at this time of invitation. And it's in Christ's name we do pray these things. Amen. Would you stand as we sing this song invitation?